All right, let's grab our Bibles and open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8 and read through verse 20. Luke 2, 8 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, it's in your bulletin as well. Uh, And while we're getting settled, uh, let me start here. Uh, One of our family's favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone, and we've watched it multiple times. And recently, Netflix put out a documentary, uh, and maybe you've seen it kind of pop up on your thread. The documentary is called The Movies That Made Us. And what this, what this documentary does is it takes some of these old movies from the 80s and 90s and kind of gives you like a behind-the-scenes access to what was going on during the production and the writing of this movie. So they had one on Home Alone, so we said, so we said we're going to watch this. So we spent uh, about an hour over the Thanksgiving break and, and, and watched it together. And, and here's, here's the point. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, Home Alone a, a dozen times. Uh, but after we watched this documentary, there were some things we missed uh, in the movie. And here's a big one, for example. So you, you remember the movie Home Alone takes place in this boy, Kevin McAllister's house. Did you know everything in that house is either red or green? There's no blue. There's no orange. There's no yellow. If, if there is, it's accidental and it's in the background. The tiles in the kitchen are green. The towels in the bathroom are green. The sheets, the picture frames, everything in that house is either red or green. Never noticed it. Never saw it as many times as we watched it. The point is this. We're, we're looking at a familiar story uh, this morning, and, and, and sometimes, you know, as, as often as we read it, you know, maybe dozens of times, and just because you've seen it, just because you've studied it, just because you watched the Charlie Brown special, there might be things you're missing. Uh, so let's look at it together. This is Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 8. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On the front end here, um, can you think of the last time that you were struck with wonder? 
What do I mean by wonder? Wonder is that, that, that something that is unexpected and something that is good um, appears in your life. And um, another term for this is being gobsmacked. Uh, it makes you, you stop in the middle of your stride. It, it catches you by surprise because it's so good. Can you remember the last time you were struck with a wonder like that? You know, for me, um, that happens, you know, often in North Texas because the sunsets for me, um, those always make me stop. Um, we get great sunsets up here, but you may not be a sunset person. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's the first time you saw a, a piece of art, um, and it created wonder in you, or maybe it was uh, a song, or maybe it was the first time you, you saw a baseball field with your own eyes. You know, a baseball field is green on TV, but there's a different kind of green when you see a ball field uh, for the first time. Or maybe it was the first date. Maybe there was wonder and unexpected joy, a first date. Wonder is, is one of those things uh, that you can't manufacture. Uh, wonder is one of those things um, that surprises you. Wonder is one of those things, too, that, that you can't recreate. Uh, wonder is, is, is hard to find. Uh, wonder is, is hard to see. Um, and when we try to recreate it, uh, what we actually do is, is we actually get further away from wonder. Uh, but we try to do that uh, sometimes. This the story that, that we're looking at this morning is, is full of wonder. It's full of surprises. It's, it's full of joy. But we've seen this pageant way too many times, and our kids have borrowed, you know, our bathrobes to play, you know, the shepherds and, and the angels. And so we've got the haloed, you know, children and, you know, the other kids, you know, kind of going through this, this story. We, we've seen the pageant. I've already referenced the Charlie Brown Christmas special. This is the passage that they use, you know, in, in the story in the middle of their pageant. You know, I, I think it's Linus, you know, who, who kind of goes through and reads Luke chapter 2. Uh, we've seen it, and, and we've heard it, we've been around it, and, and I wonder if it's one of those, those things that because of our familiarity with it, it's, it's lost its punch. It's lost its surprise. It's lost its joy. And so really what I want to do this morning is, is really slow down. Um, you know, you, you can't get a good view of the Grand Canyon from a bullet train. So we're, we're going to slow down. We're going to amble through this passage uh, we're going to bathe in it, we're going to sit in it, and see if we can't reclaim and restore in some ways. Again, not, we're not going to manufacture it. it it's, it's here. It's just we've got we've to go slow enough to see it. Um, see if we can kind of reinstill some wonder uh, of this great gospel that God's given us uh, in this story. So, two points this morning. Uh, I want to look at the sign, and I want to look at the response. The sign and uh, the response. So first, um, this great sign uh, given to these shepherds by uh, the angels. The first thing uh, I want us to kind of pay attention to in this passage is the setting. It's, it's the context. What Luke here is doing, and, and, a, and all good writers and all good producers do this, is he's, he's writing in contrast. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of contrast going on in this story between light and dark. Uh, between good and evil, between a king and a servant. Uh, the first is this, between darkness and light. The story takes place at night, and it's during the night watch of the sheep. It's dark, 
Um, and, and, you know, maybe you will hear a sheep bleeding here or there, but it's quiet. And then what happens? The glory, and this is the same used word that's, that's used in the Old Testament for the temple glory, this Shekinah glory breaks the heavens open, and the earth is flooded with light, and the glory, this light of God surrounds the angels and the shepherds. So we go from great darkness to great light. There's another contrast here between fear and joy. Um, if we were in their shoes or sandals, so to speak, and it was quiet, um, the, su- the surprise of the message alone would catch us off guard. Uh, that would make us, us flinch. But then to witness an army, that's what this, this host is. Don't, don't think winged, white-robed, uh, haloed, you know, fat, chubby babies. Think helmed sordid, shielded warriors of God. This is His army. This is Gabriel. Um, to be surrounded by an army is, is very intimidating, and it's very scary. And it's, it's a bit ironic um, because you're, you're being surrounded by this great host of terrible warriors, and they're saying, peace. Peace. Not war, not blood, not vengeance. They're saying, Peace. You don't expect that to come out of, you know, the, the mouths of an army or a great captain, but they speak peace and joy and good news. So we've got this, this contrast between light and dark. We've got contrast between fear and joy, fear and glory. And there's another contrast here between um, the king and a servant. You know, verse 11, look back at the text. Notice what the angel says uh, to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, one who is Christ the Lord. Um, Up to this point, everybody thought the line of David was broken. Uh, The line of kings had come to an end, but maybe there's there's a secret that we didn't know, uh, that the king was returning. There's a king, but notice how this king shows up, verse 16. When they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph, where did they find this promised king, this one who was going to be the anointed one, this, this Lord of all? He was in a manger. He was lying in a tool of their trade. Now, this imagery is not wasted on the shepherds. They saw Jesus lying in a tool of their trade, something that they would know and they would understand. The king is where? The king is lying in what? not some royal palace, not with doctors and, and nurses and, and fanfare and, and gifts. No, in a stable, in a trough, in something that's used to feed animals. We, we, we know what this is. We know what this place is, and that's where the king is. So, you read the story, and there's great contrast. Now, why in the world is that important for us to even consider this morning? Think about it this way. Can you remember the last time you bought a new pair of shoes? You remember that new shoe feeling? Right? You had forgotten over time, you know, how your old shoes kind of lost their, their cushion and support, and then you put that new pair on. And you're like, that's what cushion is supposed to feel like. That's what support in my foot is supposed to feel like. It's, it's when the new and when the good is, is, is paired up right next to the bad and to the old, you realize just how bad the bad is and just how good the good is. Good writers, good producers, good directors, they still do this, this contrasting today because what does it do? 
It's memorable. It helps us understand the darkness and, and, and the badness of this world more clearly, but also helps us understand the goodness of it by putting them right next to each other. And that's what Luke is doing in the story by, by means of contrast. It's saying, look how good the good is as we compare it to the dark and, and to the bad. Something wonderful uh, is happening here, uh, but it happens first to the shepherds. And when you read this, you're supposed to ask, you know, why would God do something so wonderful and so elaborate for just a few ordinary people? Why would He do something so grand for shepherds? Um, you ever heard the word or the term influencer before? That's a new thing. Because social media is so popular and because everybody's on social media, if you have a product, you can hire an influencer. And an influencer is somebody famous, uh, a celebrity or a model who will, on their profile and all of, all of their you know, social media sites, they will promote your business or your product. And they will say something you know, fantastic about it, how great it is. Uh, and people are selling themselves now and offering themselves as social media influencers. Um, and, and what God here is doing in this passage with His gospel, with His good news, with His product, so to speak, is the exact opposite. He doesn't go to the influencers. He doesn't go to the higher-ups. He doesn't go to the politically connected people. Who's He going to? He goes, he goes to shepherds. And we need to understand, like, especially in the first century, you know, how, how did people see shepherds? Later in the first century, they kind of take a more negative connotation. They can't testify in court. They're considered ceremonially unclean because of, of what they do for a profession. Uh, but it's a little bit more vague, you know, at, at the time when Luke is writing this. But what we can say with certainty is, is that shepherds, at least at the time of, of Luke's writing, shepherds are, are the lowest of the low. Um, they're poorly paid. Um, at the bottom of the blue class, blue-collar working class, um, because of their job, and especially if you have the night watch, um, it's a very smelly job, and it's a very lonely job. Uh, like we kind of hinted at last week with Mary, you know, these 400 years of silence being broken uh, to Zechariah, to Mary, and now to these shepherds, look who, look who God is using to influence the world. Look who he's picking deliberately. And just to emphasize the point, uh, look back with me at verse 10. And the angel said, To them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, not plural, the world, you, but you, shepherds. We're not talking about anybody else right now. We're, now we're talking to you, and that's important for us to see here. Bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Verse 11, for unto you, and if we knew their names, we would insert their names here, unto you is born a Savior. It's to these people that God directs His message. It's to these unlikely witnesses that God displays this, this grand wonder, this great news of great joy. Uh, it's not just for you, but it's to you. I have you in mind. What are we supposed to draw uh, from this? It's simply this, that our God and the God of Scriptures 
Um, the God in the Old and the New Testament is a God who loves to do extravagant things for ordinary, humble outsiders. He loves to be extravagant. He loves to do great things. He loves to instill wonder in humble outsiders. Is that the God that you have pictured in your mind? Is that his reputation? Or does he go more towards the influencers? No, he goes towards the humble. Well, the sign, what, what is that, the sign that he actually gives um, these shepherds, these unlikely witnesses? In other words, how will the shepherds know that what the angel has told them is true? And the angels, you know, understand this. They, they, they give the words, they tell them what's happened, and they say, here is the sign. Look back in the passage. Verse 12, and this will be the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, the sign is the Son. The sign is a person. The sign is Jesus. And it's, it's safe to imagine that in Bethlehem that there were probably a number of baby boys born that night, um, and they too were wrapped in clothes. Um, but there's, a, there's an extra descriptor here in this passage, uh, one that is incredibly unique. No ordinary parent would stick their newborn child in a feeding trough. But shepherds, this, is, this, this will be the sign for you. This is how you will know um, that this is the child in whom we are speaking. This is the heir of David. This is the Christ, the anointed one. This is your Savior. This is your King. This is your Lord. He's going to be in a manger. Three times in this passage, three times in this count, Luke make, goes to extra effort to say, manger, this child will be in a manger, this child will be in a manger. Who would do that with their child? Who would put him in such a low estate? Let alone what God would allow himself to be lowered like this. This, this communicates a number of things to them, but also to us as readers um, it communicates the nearness and the closeness that, that God longs to have with us, with outsiders, with people who are humble. That's what Emmanuel means. It means God with us, not above us, not near us, but God with us, God among us. In other words, before uh, Jesus is going to fix this world, um, He's going to enter it. He's going to suffer at the hands of of it. He's going to share with it. He's going to shepherd it. Um, think about it this way. A, a, a much older pastor and, and friend of mine once told me the story about the moment he knew um, that the girl he was dating uh, was going to be his wife. And here's how the story goes. It was early in their dating relationship, so they only had, you know, just a couple few dates under their belt. And, you know, one Friday night, they had planned to go to a movie and to dinner. And about 10 minutes before he was going to leave and pick her up, um, their septic tank in the backyard uh, backed up. And everything that was in the septic tank entered uh, their backyard and came in through the window into their basement. So when that happens, you're not cleaning up water. You're not cleaning up mud. You're cleaning up waste. Let me leave it at that. So... Date night, canceled, done, over. And mournfully, he called uh, his girlfriend and said, you know, I know we had plans tonight, 
uh, to go out. I'm sorry, I need to cancel because um, I've got to go clean out our basement. And graciously and winsomely, you know, she wasn't dramatic. She said, I get it. I understand. Let's have a rain check on the, uh, the dinner and a movie. And he said, that's a deal. They hung up. And he got his bucket. He got his gloves. He got his boots. And he submerged and went into the basement and started cleaning. About 15 minutes later, he heard uh, footsteps coming down the stairs. And he turned around, and it was her. And in her hand was a bucket. And on her hands were gloves. And on her feet uh, were boots, galoshes. And at that moment, he said, I'm going to marry that girl. Why? I think all of us you know, would be lucky to have a spouse who would be willing to, not just when things are good, but when things are bad, to enter into the muck, to enter into our chaos, something that you didn't cause, but enter my chaos, my waste, and clean it up and make it better. But friends, do you not see, but that's what the God of the Scriptures does for us at Christmas? is that when he didn't have to, with a mess that was not his own, he left his story, he left his narrative, he inserted himself into the story to clean, to share, to engage, and for 33 years say, I have been in the muck with you. I know how it feels. I know how it feels to be a shepherd. I know how it feels to be an outsider. I know how it feels to be mocked. But that wasn't his only purpose. His purpose was to clean and to make things better. And the shepherds didn't miss it. And I don't want us to miss it either. This is really good news. He comes to clean, but he also comes uh, to bring peace. I mean, remember what the angels say in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. We just sang that a minute ago. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, what's hard for us to see in this passage is Luke is, is, is kind of playing on a pun here. Uh, remember, Bethlehem is occupied by Rome, is under Roman authority, and Rome's big campaign at this time was this one phrase called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome was brought about um, very violently, through pillaging, through murder, through occupation, uh, military occupation, uh, through conquest, through looting, through imprisonment, through threats. Peace of Rome. Peace unto you, Rome. Um, through danger, through toil, through murder. The peace here that's being offered, the peace that's being declared from heaven, you know, unto Bethlehem and unto these shepherds and all God's people is, is a peace of an entirely different character. Yes, it's, it's costly. Uh, this, this peace is very costly, but what Christ says is that, that cost I'm not going to put on you. Believers aren't taxed. Uh, you don't fund the war. It is, it, is, it is not secured through your blood, your sweat, your tears. Christ says, I'm going to cover that cost. And it is costly. So that you might enjoy peace. 
And he's not talking about a horizontal peace, like, like peace on earth, like John Lennon, you know, let's, let's all join hands, everybody grab a Coke. He's talking about the, this, this peace that has been broken, that's been disrupted since Genesis 3, is now being mended and restored vertically between earth and heaven. Peace, peace. Now we can actually say that word with joy and with happiness. Not peace in the way that Rome knows it, but peace from God. A peace in which he's going to cover the cost and not you. This baby king would bring peace, not like Rome, but through the force of love, through the force of forgiveness, through the force of restoration. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that he himself, in speaking of Jesus, he himself is our peace. Jesus doesn't just bring peace. He is our peace. Well, what about the responses? There, there's a number of responses here in this passage. Let's just focus um, on the shepherds uh, and how they kind of respond to this wonder and this good news. Uh, first, uh, two things. First, uh, they respond in haste. Uh, look at verse, um, verse 16. And, and, you know, Luke doesn't waste ink. And so he says, and they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph. So all they have right now are these heavenly rumors from angels that a king is born, a savior is born, a lord is born, and guess what? He's going to be in a feeding trough. That's how you'll know who he is. Most of us at this point would go, hmm, I give it a 50-50. But it says with haste, they went to see if what they heard matched up with what they would find, right? And they went with haste. Now, when you think about haste, that kind of has a negative connotation. When you think about haste, I want you to think about this. Uh, I had a friend who was giving a lecture uh, at a church. Uh, the first lecture was on Friday night. The second lecture was on Saturday morning. The first lecture on Friday night was about uh, the fall, the brokenness of this world. It was the bad news. And Saturday morning was the opposite. It was the good news. It was redemption through Jesus. So when, once he finished his lecture on Friday night, and they were kind of closing up shop in the church. He was walking out to his car, and one of the participants at the lecture stopped him and said, um, really appreciated what you said tonight, but can you tell me what you're going to talk about tomorrow? Uh, and my friend said, you know, said, no, come back tomorrow, uh, and you'll hear it there. And he said, I, I know you, you told me that, but what happens if I get in a car accident? What happens if I'm you know, providentially hindered in some way? What happens if I die in my sleep? I believe what you said today. I don't know the good news. I don't know how to, how to fix what's broken between me and Christ. Would you please tell me? And so in that moment, in that context, of course he shared the good news. That's the haste of the shepherds here. It's a sense of urgency. It's a sense of, of life and death. If this is who the Scriptures say it is, if, if, if this guy is going to be the God who the angels say he is, this is who we've been looking for, waiting for, hoping for. In this man is life. And so they pursue it with haste. Um, a lot of us have heard what the shepherds have heard. We've heard who Jesus is. We know He is Savior, and we know He is Christ, and we know He is, is Lord. 
And, and sometimes we stop with the hearing. And, and we sit in our cynicism and we go, I don't know if I believe that to be true. This is where, you know, I invite you to take a page out of the shepherd's book here. And with haste, doubt your doubts. If you doubt, that is okay. I imagine the road from, you know, the, the shepherd's pasture to Mary and Joseph's side. There's a, there's a couple moments where they stopped and went, are we crazy? Are we crazy? Are we really doing this? God's made provision for that. But don't stop with the hearing. Hear and respond and engage and find out as much as you can. If you're gonna, if, let me put it this way. If you're going to doubt God, doubt Him with as much information as you can possibly gather and in haste. If you're going to doubt, doubt informedly. Doubt knowingly. Doubt intellectually. Doubt practically. It's in those doubts where God says, taste and see. Don't just know, but taste, see, experience like these shepherds did. The sign that proved true. That there is a king that brings himself low. That there is a king who brings peace and who will clean you and who loves you and that will enter your story, that will enter your muck simply because he loves you. With haste, find out if that's true or not. The second point uh, is this, and notice how the shepherds leave the same way in which the angels appear. All right, this, this, this whole host, this, this army appears glorifying and praising God from the heavens, not singing, speaking from heaven to these people. And then you get to the end of the passage, verse 20, and, and again, you know, Luke doesn't waste ink. He loves parallelism. He loves contrast. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen, as it had been told them. They end in the way that the angels uh, begin uh, in this passage. Um, ask yourself at this point, how much theology do you think these shepherds know? Um, it's probably very minimal. What they've been told at this point is that um, what's happening is good. It's meant for your joy. Uh, it's meant to bring peace between heaven and earth. And at the center of it is this one person who is Savior, which means he's going to save you. The first message of Christ Christmas is that there, there is a people in need of saving. There's a Savior. He's Christ. He's the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for since the Old Testament. And he's Lord. The wood that's in the manger, he created that. The stars that he is now under, he created those. Mary, who is his mother, he knit together when she was in the womb of her mother. The Lord is in the manger. How deep was their theology? It, was, it, was, it wasn't much more than this. And yet what happens is they leave glorifying, praising God, telling people all that they had seen and all that they had heard. God is trustworthy. What he said would come true, it came true. Our eyes have seen it. We have proof. We, we saw it. They're not educated evangelists. They're simple, humble people with a message that says God can do what he says 
he can do. That's all it takes to be an effective evangelist, to share the gospel with other peoples. Let me just tell you what I have seen and what I have heard God do. You don't have to have a PhD in apologetics. Just an experience like these shepherds had. I heard something, but then I saw it come true. And can you share that with other people? Um, what happens is, that's, that's, well, that's all they needed, and in a sense, that's all we need. But as we get to the end of the gospel, when Jesus begins his public ministry, you know, these shepherds have gone out and probably have, you know, been bought, you know, more beers in the bar because of this story. Let me tell you about the angels. Let me tell you what happened one night when I was out on my shift. By the time Jesus gets into public ministry, um, he's performing his miracles and, he, and he's teaching. Um, some of the locals go, but isn't this Joseph's son? You see the shift? Before it was you know, from the angel's mouth and from the shepherd's mouth, this is our Savior. This is Christ. This is no ordinary man. This is the Lord made flesh. And just after 30 years, you see what's happened. Isn't this Joseph's Joseph's son? This, this, you know, there's, there's an emotional high that comes with some of these wonderful experience, but when you look at Mary treasuring and pondering these things in her heart, considering the word of the Lord and how it plays out, um, if we're kind of relying on emotional highs in our spiritual life, those come and those go. But like Mary and these shepherds, as they treasure and as they ponder and as they take these truths and as they chew on them and ruminate on them and treasure them in their heart, the truth becomes um, life-giving. It becomes foundational. Christ becomes the center of our life. And when that happens, I, I think the story of Christmas turns less nostalgic. And what it does in us is it captures that, that sense of wonder that contrast is that though this world is so dark, and it still is very dark, we know the light. And though this world is full of devils, and, and though our anxiety, often, especially in the holidays, is at its highest, we need not fear, because the Davidic king is on the throne, and he doesn't have peripheral vision. He's not missing anything. We're waging in, in a war that is already won, we're fighting in a battle uh, when, when the flag has already been planted in Christ. We know how the story ends. And I know that doesn't take away all of our anxiety, but it should outweigh it. As we place our trust in Him, what we've heard and now what we've seen. He's good to His Word. hope that helps instill some wonder in the coming week. Let me pray together for us, and let's pray together. Father, I do thank You for... Um, this great word, this great story. Help us to embrace it from the heart. Uh, we probably know portions of it by memory. I uh, could recite it uh, back, but would you, um, would you make it bread to us? Would it feel like we're eating a meal that's, that's filling and satisfying? Or would you reach down again? Would you minister to us, we who are weak and we who are needy? And we ask this all in the matchless name of Christ, our King and our Savior. Amen.